this is Emmanuel Class. And this is Jordan Lamb. You are listening to Field of Fire! for that one yeah, take I had, it home I had, to the cup. It. I had to lean into it yes excellent job <clears throat> thank favorite you favorite intro yet <laughs> it may have taken us a few times but we nailed it listeners for uh, all of the bloopers stay tuned in the end of this there's gonna be some funny stuff it's gonna be real good it's gonna oh. be real good so uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Field of Fire. As you heard in the intro, joining me this week is one of my favorite people at Privateer Press. Oh, Quite possibly shit. one of my favorite people on the planet. The living teddy bear, the Duke of Paint Town, the Arc Mage of Brush Magic, Jordan Lane. Hey, how's it going, buddy? It's good to see you. <laughs> Except not seeing you because there's no video. Oh, man, you know, I accidentally did video twice now. So um, when I had Danny on, right, he was like, we, we started the call. He had video on and I got to see into the lair, you know, all the dirty tables he had behind him. Uh-huh. Yep, and that, I, that's about right. I really wanted him to leave the video on. I was like, this is too good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that boy. That boy oh, is. man. Me too. Um, but I'm stoked to have you on Field of Fire, Jordan. Yeah, it's uh, good to be here, man. From my very first Get Your Pain On, where I watched, uh, I knew we were going to be friends, like me and this guy. Mm-hmm. I like him. <laughs> uh, at LVO 2019, we got to hang out a little bit, and then I missed hanging out with you after the show because I had like to leave for a work trip, and I did not know that you guys all did like a dinner thing. There was like a thing. I mean... It was my first LVO, so it wasn't like a thing. It was just uh, Charles like, "Hey, let's go do some dinner or something." Let's, there's like an Italian place behind the the rest the restaurant, the hotel. Let's go, and I was just like, "All right, Italian sounds good. Let's do it." It's a thing now. It, I get, yeah, I guess it is. It is so yeah, so at LVO 2020, we orchestrated getting to have dinner. Like I messaged you ahead of time. I was like, Jordan, we got to do the thing this time. Yeah, I think that was. Of all the plans that I made and things that I did at LVO, that was, like, the most planned out thing of the weekend. Oh, yeah. Because you were just like, Jordan, we have to make this happen this time. And I was like, yeah, absolutely we do. So I I'm glad, I'm glad you were my able to trip that. for that extra day to hang out with you. Charles thinks it was to hang out with him. Um, but it was actually so that you and I could have our cuddle time. Oh, heck yeah, um, man. There were other people there, too. Jeff Hadley and John Schwinkles were there with us. Uh, my BMR brother Charles Aerosmith had a good time. Uh, so funny story. We're all out. We're we're there having dinner. Everyone's drinking, having a good time. And I say, hey guys, I gotta go to the bathroom. And I get up and I nearly knock over the waiter on my way out. Like, and I, I do remember I, that. Um, and so I hit the latrine and I go up front and I'm like, hey, I'm gonna pay for everybody's dinner. And the lady's like, oh, your waiter just left with the checks. You probably just ran into him. And I'm like, oh shit, I did just run into him. <laughs> Literally. Um, and so I get back and everybody's already like pulling money out and their cards out. And at this point, like, I don't want to make a big like show of it. Like, no, put your money. Away. Your money's no good in LBO town. Like, it would just be weird. So next year we're going to do it again. All right. Uh, but I think maybe something a little closer. How about dinner at lock and load? It sounds great. Somebody wants I, somewhere I got all sorts of cool places that we can do dinner up here. Ooh, I like that. I like the sound of this. I like uh, when locals have a suggestion. 
Oh, dude, I am I am such a foodie. You have no idea. Oh, me too. Hardcore. Like I could do I a whole food. podcast about food. I love food so much. See, that's why we're besties, Jordan. For real. I love good food though. Anytime you want to come down to Phoenix and hang out, dude, we can spend a whole weekend just cooking and playing. Honestly, games. man, that sounds really good. There are a lot of people down in Phoenix who I should go visit at some point. Please, so. I'm Mikasa Sukasa. I got a great spare room. I got a whole game room we can play games in. Lots of Riot Quest stuff. All right, man, we can make, we can make that happen. Oh, snap. Um, <laughs> So you, like me, are a hobby gamer. Like, both terms apply to you, both hobby yeah. and gaming. Uh, Which is probably not something that a lot of people know. Like, I, I granted, I haven't really played a lot since I started working at Privateer, but, like, time. I got into the, the game through, like, playing very competitively. Interesting. <clears throat> I did so, not know that about you. Yeah, I, I, I came from... I mean, obviously, I've been playing hobby games for a very long time, or, like, hobby miniatures games for a long time. But I had taken, like, a maybe four- or five-year hiatus. Wow. Um, or maybe even longer than that. Uh, and I got, like, super deep into playing competitive magic, like Magic Gathering. Oh, yeah. I went down that rabbit hole, too. And, I mean, like, I went uh. about as deep as you can go. Um <laughs> So like my my entire weekends every week were like jam packed with events and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was nuts. I was traveling all over the place. Points. Going, to, it was crazy. Yeah. So I had been looking, out, like going to mocks and hanging out and playing game game magic. And I was like turning back over, like seeing. I was like, I've heard about this War Machine game before. And okay. I was talking to our one of our previous uh, staff members, Jeff Olson, at the time. And he was kind of the the person who convinced me to get into it because he was really big into the game at the time. And um, yeah, he got me got me super deep in into War Machine um, directly from Magic because I like awesome. I went from super competitive outlook to super competitive outlook. So, <laughs> and I mean, all this time, like whenever I played miniatures games, I'd always paint and stuff like that. And so I've been hobbying forever, but. I've um, always said War Machine was the magic, the gathering of tabletops. I mean, it really is. Like, it is the closest comparable thing, right? Like, the with the rule set, and, like, there's very little question marks in the game. Definitely. And a, a very distinct, like, coloration to the factions, right? Mm-hmm. Very much so. Speaking, I mean, even down to, like, the color palette you use, like, each faction has their own, like, color wheel that you try to stay within to keep it thematic. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so, what faction drew you in first? Was it an aesthetic thing? Was it a, like, gameplay thing? So, it was, it was a little bit of both. Um, they, conveniently, they both happened to be um, in the same realm. So one of the things that kind of I was told initially was, you know, pick pick what you like the look of because you're going <laughs> to be more invested in it, right? Oh, they told me the same thing. So I so and and so bear in mind, right? This is at the kind of tail end of Mark II, right? When, okay. I, when I first started getting into the game, when lots of and, things are good and available. Yeah. Well, the the first thing that I got into was Cricks. Oh, man, after my own heart. Yeah. And then, you know, it was super busted at the end of tail end of Mark II. 
Denny body and soul. Uh, Denny, Denny one and Gatsby two. Oh were yeah, just shredding people. So obviously, Gatsby two all day. That was the first thing that I was told to get. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I picked up that stuff basically right away. Nice. Um, so, and I started with that, and um, kind of moved on to other things from from that that realm. One of my very favorite mods that I've ever done was a Crix mod. So I turned Death Jack into a mechanical dragon. Um, oh, that sounds I, great. I took his body and I leaned it down to be on all fours. And his front, uh, his hands, I had repinned the arms to make them more um, shouldery and out so that it kind of looked like he was gripping down onto the base. And then the back legs, I used um, Nightmare's legs, but turned to a way that kind of made it look almost draconic in the way it was posed. And then um, I put, what head did I put on it? Um, I think it was Malice's head. And then I used the horns from Death Jack to be like um, these kind of curling Maleficent-style horns. And then I put a tail on it, and the tail came from, what's his name? Asphyxius' character, Jack, um, Cankerworm. And I tweeted it to Privateer Press, and Hungerford responded and was just like, oh my god, is that Death Jack? (laughs) Um, And the problem was that on multiple occasions, I would play it, and people would be like, oh, sweet Torok Jack, what is it? And I oh no. (laughs) Yeah, it's Death Jack. And so I ended up retiring it and just going with something a little bit more recognizable because when you get into that competitive scene, right, you wanted everything. You don't want to give anybody else alibis or excuses. I didn't know that was Death Jack. Yeah. He looks weird. Yeah. So do you have like a top faction like you, that you champion now? <clears throat> like who's your baby? Uh, Scorn has always been my baby. Uh, like yeah. I got into the game through Cricks and um, at the beginning of Mark III, uh, I picked up Scorn and played them for a long time um, to some some reasonable amounts of success locally. Nice. Um, and I kind of have never stopped loving Scorn. Um, <clears throat> I've picked up a couple of other things along the way, like um, I picked up Grimkin for a while just for a little bit of a change. That does not surprise me at all. <laughs> I love Grimkin a lot. That's that's definitely a second home for me. Um, I dabbled in Crucible Guard for a, a little bit, but it wasn't really my my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely for me, uh, I prefer the Fury mechanic to the um, Focus mechanic. Definitely. So I, I, it's just like it's something that I I jive with a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely Scorn. And my favorite caster is Rasheth. Because he's amazing. <laughs> I do like Rasheth a lot. My favorite caster in Scorn is probably Xerxes. I really like Xerxes one. I played him. I just loved his brick. I remember throwing him in my pair just to like beat down Haley and stuff. Uh, <laughs> I totally relate to that. And as far as you being a Grimkin player, I also remember you painting one of them on stream. Was it the Nayslayer attachment or solo? Uh, Nayslayer. I painted some. Uh... A good amount of them. Like I painted the Nayslayer Warhorse. That's the um, one. I, I remember watching Tunlick, Malady Man. Mm-hmm. I watched that one too. Um, I, I think we basically got through all of the new stuff. One of my favorite things about watching you on Get Your Paint On is that you guys like interact with the 
other hosts and with uh, people watching and you know tell anecdotal stories on all in and of itself and so it's a lot of fun to if you have the opportunity to go see it to sit down and, and to watch and hang out yeah i've definitely had a lot of fun running the show for the past year or so like with tony and i have, have had a really good time with it um, so what's it like painting live like painting with a camera over your shoulder time constraints lighting angles maintaining conversations with it, internet and a host you know it's it's not that bad Really, um, I think, yeah, it, it's, I talk a lot for one, so <laughs> it's like, you get me going and I'll just go. So like, I think the, the hardest part about it for me <clears throat> is, um, trying to like, fit, like I'm a pretty quiet painter, like when I'm painting, painting. Um, so there's going to be a lot of times during the stream where I'm like, if I'm doing something that's a little bit more difficult and I'm just like really zoned in on that, like it's really mm -hmm. easy for, for me or whoever's like the active streamer, right. To, to lose focus on the communication aspect of it. Sure. Where like, cause obviously the goal is like, I'm supposed to be painting and I'm supposed to be showing and telling. Right. Mm -hmm. But because most of the time, like when I'm painting and painting at home or whatever, I'll have, something on in the background so that I'm listening to that's kind of keeping my brain active while I'm just doing painting, right? Jordan, are you painting um, right now? I am painting right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am painting right now. Um, I got it, dude. I'm, I'm got you. I got to paint. This is like, so this is perfect, right? Like, this is the kind of format that I really like is like sitting down, painting, and talking with people is like a format that I really enjoy outside of streaming entirely. So I think because of that, it's been a lot easier for me to adjust to some of the things that might be weird to a lot of people. Um, but definitely like the difficulty part of it for me is just being continuous with the communication, right? And one of the benefits of having a bunch of other guests on the show is they can help kind of focus some of that attention by asking questions and things like that mm -hmm. when my eyes are focused on the model and not necessarily looking at stream 100% of the time. Well, those are different skills too. Like if there's one thing I learned while in the military, it's that communication skills and fine motor skills and uh, the ability to do both at the same time break down under stress and pressure so like for you to be like yeah it's not a big deal there are people out there that are like painting by itself is, is difficult right yeah and then adding all these different layers and challenging really is the skill i think that's one of the things that makes you so entertaining to watch is that when you are quiet you can actually just watch the camera sometimes and be like what is jordan doing <laughs> and get like I, I remember watching you do the naysayer warhorse and i think you were adding purple to it and i was just like what i like and then i think it did get quiet for a second because everybody was just watching you apply color <laughs> like the yeah. whole internet is hushed as you brush I, I remember one of those episodes. I don't remember exactly which one of it, it was. I don't know if it was the Naysler Warhorse, only because, um, like, that was the, the stream where I kind of demonstrated how to paint yellow. Mm. Um, so I think that that was a lot more interactive, but it might have been. Um, oh, or it, it might have been that Infernal Cavalry solo. I think you painted him as well. 
I did do that. That was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with that model. You put purple in the hair as well on that one. Man, I just love purple. Purple goes in a lot of places that you wouldn't expect it to. I love purple. It's one of my favorite shades. Uh, so what's the favorite model you've painted on the stream? Do you have one that's just like, oh yeah, that one I hit it 100% that day? It's difficult, right? Because there's different mm -hmm. answers, right? I think the most successful model from a stream quality perspective was probably the Nayslayer Warhorse. I think mm. that model kind of encapsulated what I wanted the show to be, um, which is like really nice tutorial, like with a whole bunch of other like fun, interesting communication content between the people <laughs> who are part of the stream. Yeah. Um, I think what's the model that I've, liked the most from a show afterwards mm -hmm. trying to think through all the models that i painted on the show one um, that somebody could go back like after this cast and look at it and be like damn jordan okay like i see why you like this one uh is probably probably the the um the valent hawk model oh yeah so sick um yeah I just, like that's probably one of my favorite models that we've produced to date um, and I spent a lot of time both on and off camera, still just like painting that guy. Um, cause he is in my infernals army, which is mm -hmm. an army that I did also pick up. <laughs> um, I, I, <laughs> I did this like crazy insane challenge before lock and load this last year where, um, we were trying to like get together some armies for people to like play and show off whatever mm -hmm. at, at lock and load. And... <laughs> Oh, I came up with this wonderful idea to, like, from scratch, the Monday of lock and load, because I had that, like, Monday and Tuesday off or whatever, to, like, literally, from scratch, unassembled, paint as much of an army as I could before lock and load. <laughs> and, and we're talking, like, full FA of the entire faction. Wow. That was available at Lock and Load. How much time did you have? Like three days, four days. Nice. Uh, two of which I had to work during. Um, so like the first day, and I got a little bit of help from one of our coworkers, my coworkers at the time. Um, like between he and I, and he was working at the time, so I like did the bulk of it because I wasn't working. Um, uh, we assembled all of the models on the first day. Nice. Everything assembled, cleaned together and then i think we primed them all that night as well and, wow. and then i got everything airbrushed the next day so like that army is pretty far along as far as like painting is concerned just from those two days um <laughs> and then like i managed to get a bunch of bases basing done um and then i made a lot of headway on some other stuff and i i brought it to lock and load and i showed it off what i had kind of done and available nice. um <clears throat> and I still want to finish it at some point here in the near future. I just got it back from a friend of mine that I wanted to for a little while because he, he was getting his Infernal's Army painted up. Very cool. <clears throat> so, Can you tell us uh, some things that painters might do that look great but require minimal invested time, like things you can kind of cheat your paint jobs to do uh, to get the most bang for your time invested? Uh, like a good thing... So I'll do two different versions of this. Um, sure. Like, washes are amazing, and they, like, allow you to cheat so much. 
um, and combining airbrushing, which is also a form of cheating, and walking <laughs> at the same time is just like it's gold. It's so good. Like you just don't almost you almost don't even need to do anything else. It's it's great. Like all of the warjacks or not warjacks, but uh, horrors that I did for my Infernals army are basically just like airbrushed with like four or five different layers of highlighting and shading and then like washed with muddy wash and they're done. Like I totally can relate. Washing takes your paint stuff. so far. Yeah, it's just like it's it's that little bit of like pizzazz, right? At the end that like pulls pulls everything together, mm-hmm. puts some lines in those details to like sharpen everything up. It's great. It's perfect. Well, and there's like different and... <laughs> styles of washing, right? Cuz you can do like a when I play Menoth, right, I play a lot of white, and so it's, like, the easiest way to, like, not have to mess with white is just to coat it all in, like, a black ink shade and be like, it's smoky! <laughs> yeah, right? And so, um, that was, like, the easy cheat, but then the, you go in and you do, like, somebody like Severius, who's, like, all robes, or somebody who has skin tone and as well, so now you gotta do, and consider, like, each ink that you add, how much is gonna be there, because it can, like, build up in different places and then if you add it does like another ink that may go over top of this or go before that change the tone uh, i can't tell you how many times i'm like oh this is a stage where i black ink wash everything and then i black ink wash their face and i'm like hmm i'm gonna have to repaint your face buddy because if i put another brown ink over this you are gonna look very very different than your original model yeah i think like there's knowing how far to like push it right yeah and that's kind of where the the skill comes in right because like everybody can throw a wash on a model but it's knowing how much wash to apply mm. and and where to apply it which is i mean where to apply it it's a, a little bit easier but like how much and how much do you want to like thin down your washes mm. is like a huge deal it's a big really? deal yeah like Talk to me about that. I don't know that I've ever thinned down a wash other than thinning out black wash. So, so there's like, are you familiar with the concept of glazes? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, so a glaze is a wash, and a wash is a glaze for the most mm-hmm. part. Um, it's a question of like how watered down it is and and how you're applying it, hmm. and being able to kind of blur the line between the two is really helpful for saving a lot of time. Because um, you can kind of do one thing that achieves both, like, both parts of what you want to do. Because a glaze is designed to tint the surface of a model, right? It's supposed to mm-hmm. change kind of the color that you've you've already put on the model. Not significantly so, but like subtle adjustments, right? So a great example of what we do in the studio is like Kador armor, right? That red. Mm-hmm. We base coat and highlight and shade that armor armor plating and then we'll use glazes of red ink to to pull all of those layers together Mm. and give it this like really intense like red look but still maintains that gradient that you've generated with the previous colors right interesting so um like that's a really important property of a glaze right is is being able to do that but a wash which is typically more heavily pigmented, so it's not quite as watered down, mm-hmm. um, is really good for defining detail, right? So mm-hmm. uh, if you have, <clears throat> uh, like, ar- like metal armor is a great example, right? You'll have some, like, troll blood model 
that you've painted base coated all of this like silver on and mm-hmm. when you base coat all the silver you kind of lose a lot of that detail um in between all the chain links and the you know gaps in between armor plates and stuff like that Definitely. and a wash is really good for being able to do that but when you can do both at the same time where you want to uh, like change the color of the armor and also wa- like the, being able to wash it at the same time like that's that's where you get the cheating effect because you're doing you're painting the armor by changing its color but also defining the armor by adding in the darker washes mm-hmm. in the crevices and then you can do like an initial wash over the whole thing um, to do that kind of color tinting and to like initially put some color in the recess to like define that armor. Mm-hmm. And then you'll take like a really dark wash afterwards and you'll like almost line it into the crevices like really lightly mm-hmm. to just like incent, like kind of make those crevices and cracks more apparent. Really accentuate the shadows. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> I could read your mind. We're on the same wavelength. Um, I do. I do a very similar process. Uh, I feel like the halfway point for a model is getting all of the base colors kind of where you need them, and then like an initial wash to bring all the shadows and shades out. Then I go back and re-highlight everything, bring the colors back to kind of where you need them to be, so that nothing's too muted unless that's your intent. And then you go back in and you add that like thick dark line of shadow on the recesses of like the armor plate scorn's really great for this right well that mm-hmm. lacquered armor and the big deep recesses um as a matter of fact oh, i think what's that oh i just said i'm agreeing with you 100 percent. oh yeah um i think the bronze back titan was the first model that really showed me the difference of uh washes i, I at that point, I had been painting all of my scorn very flatly, and the store owner said, hey, um, I have these really great dips that you can use, and like he showed me, he's like, let me see your Xerxes, two, or Xerxes 1, and he did the dip for me, and he sat there, and he hung out with me, and he talked to me, and I was like, oh, that's cool, and like, I like this effect, and he's like, you know, honestly, this is kind of cheating, cheating, like this is the easiest way you can get shading, but let me take you over here to the ink pots, and let's talk about actual shading. And so mm-hmm. he took me through that, and uh, we sat down with the bronze back Titan, and it was gray, and then we added some black ink to its back, and suddenly every little crack and crevice was standing out, and the gray looked better, and like the armor looked better. And I was like, whoa, this is a huge difference, and it was just that one step, right? Like, I was missing. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, it's, it's crazy how much you can do with, like, just glazing. Yeah. Like, I... Like models that I've I've been painting like right now for some personal stuff, like I put on most of the base coats with just airbrush, and I'm just going in and glazing shadows and like not so much highlights because you can't really glaze highlights, but like glazing in all the shadowed areas, Mm -hmm. and like you get so much depth of like color and interest when you can go in and do such like simple like small layers of color. Yeah, um, just adds so much dimension to to what you're painting. And the psychology behind it too. Your eye is drawn to like these little crevices where you've added the different layers of color, um, and so it helps draw your eye around the model. It's yeah, absolutely. It's awesome. Um, we could talk about this all day, but we do have other questions on the docket. And the next one I think is a, a kind of a great segue. Uh, what 
advice would you give for intermediate painters to become advanced painters or like an, a tip or trick you're like hey if you want to take your painting to the next level may require some effort but do this um a good question uh thank you i i would say the the first thing is kind of like a, a mentality shift right like a lot i know a lot of people who who really like who love painting but they don't really have any interest in getting better um and like there's there's a shift that happens when when you really want to like push yourself right and uh tony Konachek, who's who's my second half for get your paint on and He's our video producer over at um, Privateer. Um, is going through this right now, which is awesome because I get to like kind of mentor him through this process. But he he came up to me a little while ago and he's like, "I want to become a better painter. Like, I this is a thing that like is important to me that like I, I want to focus on." And I think that's that's part A, right? Like you have to get to the point where you're like, "No, nah, I'm going to make this happen. This is going to happen. I'm going to become a better painter." What's the next step? The next step is to consume as much information about color theory and like look at other people's paint jobs, um, like learn about art in general is like your first step, right? <clears throat> and, and like that's, that builds this really strong foundation that you can start implementing while you're learning specific techniques. So two brush blending or things like that. Like that's a really great example of like a technique that you learn that is not necessarily tied to like artistic knowledge. It's more, you can use your artistic knowledge with any technique. So it's better to know a lot of the art stuff first. So it's a really mm -hmm. good starting point. So let's um, talk about two brush blending. I actually don't know a whole lot about it. And I know Privateer Press kind of pioneered this uh this style yeah i mean it's definitely something that we've we've popularized a lot uh i don't know if we necessarily invented it or not uh, i'm not super familiar with history but it's definitely been our <laughs> thing for quite a while for sure um and the, the general concept right is you want to it, it's a largely a time-saving process like technique and the the goal is to paint like you base coat your model and then the two brush blend the goal is to create a gradient over your base coat that really 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 smoothly blends out the two colors and and is effectively kind of like doing all of your layers and glazing to bring everything together all with one technique right so you'll apply like a, a relatively watered down like bit in like the corner or whatever of paint and then you'll use a second brush that's wet to feather that paint out over the previous color and what that does is um a lot of paints kind of a little bit of a side tangent here um a lot of paints will have various different pigments in them that shift in color a little bit mm -hmm. when they're mm -hmm. thinned out and Absolutely. two brush blending does a really good job of like incorporating a lot of these pigments um into the like visibly on the model when you're like blending this color basically with water or saliva or whatever <laughs> over your previously painted part of the model yeah <laughs> so 
that's the general concept of toothbrush plumbing. Um, okay. Interesting. Um, I, I don't know that I've done a lot of it. I'll have to try more of it. And you make it sound so simple and so easy. And yet here I am like, what's the easiest way I can do this? It just, it, it takes some practice. It's, it, it's not inherently a difficult thing to, to do or pick up, but it, it definitely takes some practice to kind of, um, be able to do it with both dark colors and light colors. Cause this is, this is something that I've noticed is that for whatever reason, and there's maybe a scientific reason or whatever. I have no idea. Um, it, <laughs> toothbrush blending is much more difficult with lighter colors than it is with darker colors. Okay. Like, there's something about the way that darker colors are pigmented or constructed, but they're a lot thinner and they're easier to spread with a toothbrush blend than lighter colors are. Hmm. So like toothbrush blending highlights is a huge pain in the butt. Um, it's huge. This is a huge pain in the butt. Um, you can do it. It just takes a lot of like really thin coats of it because it gets a little chalky when you, when you kind of blend it out and you can, you can do this, like just try and like really thinly, um, like not super thin, but like take a blob of like a, a white or yellow or, or bright orange or something. Mm-hmm. Although I will say the, our oranges are pretty good with toothbrush blending. I haven't had a lot of issues with the oranges. Um, but like whites and like um, khakis are, are kind of a pain. Oh, yeah, for sure. So um, like you take like a, a dollop of like thrall flesh or menoth white highlight or something like that. And you try mm-hmm. and like thin it out. And it isn't, isn't even with our paint range. Like I've done it with other paints too. And it kind of does the same thing. Um so that's, I think that's a big hiccup that a lot of people see with toothbrush blending is they'll try and like toothbrush blend a highlight and they'll run into this like weird, like kind of breakup chalkiness and it just doesn't quite work as well. And they're doing the same thing as they are with the darker colors. It just doesn't look as good. And I think getting over that hurdle by like doing thinner coats of the highlights and, and just doing more of them um, is kind of how to, to kind of get over that, right? What and are I mean, some examples of darker and lighter colors? Like, where's the line? Um, <laughs> got our paint range right in front of me, so I'll, I'll give you some examples. So I ask the hard questions. <clears throat> um, for for like brighter colors that are harder to blend, you're looking at like Rin Flesh, Carnal mm-hmm. Pink, Underbelly Blue, Mara White, Mouth White Highlight, um, kind of sort of Mouth White Base, um, Sickly Skin. Trollblood Highlight, um, Hammerfall Khaki, Jackbone, um, Moldy Ochre, like any, any of these that you would consider to be like a pale white color of mm. some kind. Um, like Sulfuric Yellow is in there too, Rucksack Tan's in there. Um, things that are like a little bit more saturated are a lot easier, so like your your reds are, are pretty easy. Um, your blues are pretty easy. So your like signal blue highlights not too bad. Your mm-hmm. signal blue base is fine. Eldritch is fine. Arcane blues fine. Um, Radius blues colors. Yeah, like it's just it's hard to to without like showing you visually sure. right to to describe the difference in like value shift that we're talking about. Just I like think, the brightness of the color. 
I think you're you're painting a pretty clear picture, and I know a lot of the people at home, especially on quarantine right now, <laughs> is sitting there at their painting table listening to this painting their own models, and maybe they're looking down the line going, huh, I have Hammerfall khaki, I have Jackbone, they're only one shade apart, and they're both a pain in the ass to Bush. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know where I really notice it? I, I have to say, I agree with you on sulfuric yellow, right? Especially when you're doing fire, because going from red to orange seems to be relatively simple. Uh, you can even start with a deep red, go to a lighter red, then go to an orange, and then you're going to yellow, and that transition between yellow and orange, I always struggle to get natural looking. You want me to change your fire life forever? Yes. Use inks. Don't use paint. For sure. I try to use I, both. I, I, if you base coat in like a white and then, or like a kind of a yellow, like Metal Thought Highlight's a great example, right? It's got a little bit of yellow in it. Um, and then just use inks to like create your color on top of it mm-hmm. with glazes and stuff. Like, oh man, it, it's so much better to do fire that way than that it is. And, and you can kind of like, cheat by mixing your inks into your your opaque colors so like a great example is like i'll mix some yellow ink into like inferno orange mm-hmm. and it'll it'll go so much smoother than than regular inferno orange will over fire that's interesting because what you want with fire right is you want these really smooth blends you don't want it to be super rough like the smoother it looks generally the more flowing fire magical fire it looks definitely um that's not to say that you can't paint it with rough blends and that's its own style choice. Right. But, um, I've definitely noticed like with a lot of paints in general, like mixing a little bit of ink into them is just like this magical addition of like something that just makes them so much smoother to apply onto, to a model. Weird. It's super weird. Blown. It's it because what it does is it waters it down without like losing that losing like color and pigmentation, right? Yeah. So it adds fluidity without disrupting the the concentration of like pigment and color. You are brilliant. <laughs> do that. Gonna do that for sure. If you had to give me your top three favorite P three paints, what would you say? Um. Bad Bruise. Mm. Isn't that one of the new ones you guys just came yeah, out with? Yeah, it's one of the new Infernal Colors that we released last year. Nice. Uh, and it's this, like, really blue-purple color. And it's amazing. Oh, my God. It's awesome. Um, mm. It's... Go figure you would like a blue-purple color. Yeah, I know. I love purple. Uh-huh. There's so much purple on stuff that I've painted. I've used today. more it's pots of beaten purple than I can honestly count. Oh, it's it's insane. Yeah. Um, so so beaten purple is is number one. I think. <laughs> of course, two I of mean, your top three are purple. You've got like I I almost don't want to pick this because it's such a like a cop out, but coal black is amazing. Absolutely. It's it's probably the most versatile color that we produce. Period. Works for everything. You can put it on everything. Agreed. It's like it's like I don't know, Parmesan. You can put Parmesan in anything. It tastes good. <laughs> I don't know. Some way. Uh, Parmesan in my cereal? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's You know, it's really funny. That's exactly the thought that I had when I said that. I was like, 
I probably wouldn't be very good on cereal, but eh, whatever. Jordan, you and me, besties forever. <laughs> Tell I, well, because I had cereal for breakfast today, so I was just like, eh, cereal, Psychic probably thing. not so good. But like, anything else that is going to be like savory, right? It's probably pretty good. Sure, like, why not? Parmesan in your eggs? Sure, that's probably pretty good. Parmesan in your pasta? Always. Parmesan on... I don't know. Sushi? Parmesan. Probably not bad. Who knows? Parmesan. Actually, so I'm going to tell you, as a foodie, Parmesan should not go on sushi. And here's why. All of the technical feedback that they give on all the cooking shows, and see, mm-hmm. anybody who listens to the outtakes, you'll know why we're talking about food shows. <laughs> um, they'll tell you that don't put cheese on your seafood. Um, this is something my wife like vehemently disagrees on. She's like, no, I put Parmesan on all my fish. And I'm like, yes, but you see right here, <laughs> he'll tell you cheese and fish don't go together. So, so, all right. I think that there is a way that you can do cheese and fish. Sure. But it has to be like a very particular kind of cheese and it has to be on a very particular preparation of the fish. Absolutely. You don't just like throw it on there. It's not. I disagree. It's not like pasta, where you just like you put pasta, put cheese and pasta, and it's fine. Sure. Unless it's like fishy pasta or seafood <laughs> pasta. I don't know. I'm not a food professional. I don't know. I just paint. All right. Like. Well, I'm not a food professional, but just like we were talking about with like absorbing a lot of media when you try to get good at something, I did the same thing with cooking, right? Uh, yeah. My wife was like, you cannot cook. And I was like, no, I can cook. And when we got married, I thought I could cook. I was like, man, I'm, I'm the shit. I can really cook a grilled cheese. Like, oh, oh my no. steak be so burnt. You don't even know about them crispy edges. <laughs> It was bad, man. Like I had, but the thing is, coming from like an army background, I thought MREs were good. I was like, this is a adult lunchable, three thousand calories in one. Oh no. Um, no. So I had to like break free of like the thought that a I knew what I was doing, and b that there are people out there who are great authorities on this who had made plenty of media for me to digest. All I had to yeah. do was pay attention. And painting and cooking are almost synonymous in that they're both arts. They both require kind of fine detail minutia. And there is a lot of times where the line blurs between the two of them. Like the presentation on plates is sometimes done with a paintbrush. Oh, yeah. So what kind of brushes do you use? Uh, I use um, – there, there are kind of two that I go back and forth with. Basically, any, like, studio-level, like, professional brush is usually pretty good. Um, I tend to use uh, Winsor Newton Series 7s or um, Raphael's. Fancy. Those are the brushes that I tend to use. I'm using a Raphael right now, but I also am using Winsor Newtons. And it's just what I currently have. I was trying out Raphael's, and they seem great. But Windsor Newtons are also great. So <clears throat> I think finding something like the, the big thing about paintbrushes is you want something that's durable. It's got good spring to the, the brush, mm-hmm. to, the, to the hair fibers, right? But you also like there's small little preferences, right? Like so a great example of this is Raphael paintbrushes uh, 
tend to be a little bit longer, longer. Like they're the the hairs on the brushes are a little bit longer than Winsor Newtons are. Mm. So that's like a small preference that you can have. Like you can be like, okay, well, I, I prefer the length on Winsor Newtons, so I'm going to stick with that, right? Interesting. So it's a lot of like very very personal preference with that because they're both equally springy and, and durable and, and stuff like that. But and I can get the same work done with either one, but you know. I might prefer the length on one to the other. I don't particularly. I don't really care. But <laughs> um, it, it is something that like some people might prefer over the other. So the real answer is, if you're looking to pick up a paintbrush, try one of each and see what you think. Interesting. Um, and you'll, you'll eventually find your home and what you like to use on a regular basis. So um, I have a confession. I am terrible with my paintbrushes. I am like the worst. Like when it comes to paintbrushes, I, I'm in general, I'm a really like neat freak, kind of meticulous guy, all about the details, all about everything being dress right dress. But for whatever reason, painting is like my dirty. It's my like my gritty, like get down and like express myself and paint kind of feeling. And my brushes tend to suffer the greatest for it. Like they will just be after sometimes even two or three uses done. And because of that, I buy a lot of brushes. So I have the opportunity to try lots of brushes, but it can be really expensive when you're like, Oh damn, did I spend like $200 on brushes like this month? Yeah. I mean, so one of the benefits is like expensive brushes are not that expensive In, in the realm of like, hobby things like <laughs> disposable income hobby yeah. yeah like it's it's not they're not super duper expensive right so like a Windsor Newton series 7 will cost you like 15 to 18 bucks for one brush for one brush which is not awful like if you go into your your local hobby store and you pick up some rando brush for like a hobby brush that'll cost you like 15 bucks right there or like 10 bucks sure so eight Eight for like the war game brush. Yeah, like yeah. So I mean, even even to, talking about like a six dollar difference, right? Yeah. That the difference is is huge in the in the quality of the brush. It's massive. Mm. Okay. Um, so there there's definitely a lot of like yeah. But <laughs> so it, step one, uh, buy good paintbrushes. <laughs> step two, profit. Yeah, I mean buy what you're comfortable with right like if you get a better result with with a, a different paintbrush then use that like hmm. everybody paints differently and i know people who buy like cruddy two dollar paintbrushes that you know do amazing work and it's it's not that you can't do it it's that it just makes your life a little bit easier you just don't have to worry about things quite as much i don't know i like my Windsor newtons i like my Raphaels just fine um they're they're durable and they hold up really well so that's what I use. Do you have any kind of special brush care, like cleaning you do? Do you use any kind of like creams or like special soaps? So you were talking about how you're awful with your paintbrushes, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm really bad. <laughs> I'm not the only one. I'm, oh, dude, I'm I am rough on my brushes. Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously, I'm not doing stupid things like I'm not putting them, you know tip down in my paint water and leaving them there but it's uh it's definitely 
you know, I could be nicer on my paintbrushes. I could certainly be nicer to them. Um, but, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. Sometimes you just got to sacrifice a brush to the to the paint job. Here's yeah, for sure. I I will beat through some brushes on an army for the for the sake of getting an army done. But you know, there's one I I've noticed where I I walk back and I look at my paintbrush and I go ah oh, fuck that up. Um, is when I don't dry them properly. Like for the most part, I'll still get three or four good uses out of a brush if I, even if I'm just like beating the hell out of it across multiple models and just like slamming them out. But then. I'll go, my wife will call me or my daughter needs a diaper change or something. And I'm like, okay, you know, wash it out real quick, throw it down on the paper towel. And then life takes hold. Sometimes you're like, all right, now I've got to go cook dinner. I got to take the trash out, got a phone call for work. And then you come back and you're like, dang, I, I left this pot open and I left this brush here. And now the brush is pointing in three different directions and your paint's all dried out. And you're like, God, I gotta, gotta do better. And so yeah. that ruins any brushes by not drying them properly. I mean, that's that's definitely where, like, having a, a nicer quality brush will definitely, like, benefit you a lot in that, like, the brushes will hold up a lot better under that kind of pressure, like, with, mm-hmm. with nicer quality brushes. Like, I, I don't clean out my brushes with, like, brush soap every time I use them or, like, after a, after a long day of work or even, like, once a week. I'll do it, like, maybe once every six months. Hmm. Maybe. Wow. Like, I just, like, I have brush soap. I just don't use it. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm weird when it comes to that stuff. And it's, it's not that it's, it's good, isn't good for your brushes. It's definitely good for your brushes. I'm a humongously lazy person. So <laughs> I could be a lot better with my brush care, but I'm not. So speaking of lazy painters, how much do you airbrush? I know when I had Danny on, his hot take was airbrushes are for trashy painters who only paint trash trash. Uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. You're going to have to go directly to him. Well, Danny's wrong. <laughs> yes, yes. Please disagree. He said at him. Specifically, he said at him. So you're going to have to, oh, after this me? cast, be like, I was on field of fire. He said at you. Did he, did he say that at me? No, he said it to everybody. He was like, hot takes. Let me tell you something right here. Let me tell you something right here. We don't need no airbrush. We don't need no airbrush. Okay, so that's different, right? You definitely don't need one. You definitely do not need an airbrush to paint really, 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 really nice things. In fact, I don't think painting with an airbrush is good for, like, really advanced painting stuff. It's, It's just... All it is is it's a time-saving thing. Like, it saves you time and it allows you to do some interesting things that you would not be able to do with a paintbrush. So a good example of this is I want to paint a rather large model and I don't have a lot of time to do it, which is what my life is like. Using an airbrush is a great way to save a lot of time to get my base coats down. Mm. And then after that, going back in and painting over it. So, like, most of the studio models that I paint have some airbrushing done to them at some point, right? Like, it's just there. Um, That's interesting. You really changed my perception on uh, airbrushing. Because previously, like, I kind of thought, like, if you got an airbrush and you're an airbrusher, like, you got your model, you spray on the color, 
you clean out your airbrush. You spray on another color, you clean out your airbrush. You spray on a third color, you clean out your airbrush. And I, I'm just like, I'm not here for it, man. I don't, I ain't got time for that. Like painting by itself is time consuming. But like, I like the concept that it's like, oh, maybe I just use it to do the base coats. Maybe I just use it for my fire effects or. Yeah, um, it's just like, it's, it's a tool, just like anything else. Like it's no different than your paintbrush or your dry brush or your anything, right? Like it's, it's okay. a tool for you to use in what ways it helps helps you get what you want to do on your model done right so in the studio it's great for base coating i don't really do a lot of detail work on it like i have a paintbrush for doing a lot of detail work but i don't need it i'm better at using a paintbrush anyways so i'm just gonna use a paintbrush um and at the end of the day i'm gonna finish it with a paintbrush anyways <laughs> um no on, the flip, on the flip side right like i know people who paint mostly by hand and then they'll finish it with an airbrush mm. which is really interesting right and it's kind of the opposite effect where they'll put all their base coats on by hand they'll do all their base coating and highlighting and, and shading and all that stuff and then they'll go back in and they'll airbrush glazes like really 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 subtle glazes of color mm. to kind of blend and shift color and focus your eye in different places um <clears throat> after the after the fact so there's there's that right like there's it, it's a tool like any other and you can use it in a ton of different ways and i don't think anybody should be disparaged for using it like for all of their painting or another painting like it's a tool you heard him danny use it, use it the way tool. you need to use it i mean it's a tool <laughs> <laughs> i'll, I'll, get so I'll much reprimand i'll reprimand the boy about it later Get him. Get him. I'll, I'll tell him what's wrong. You, you tell him what's up. You got to add him. Add, <laughs> CC Field of Fire on that because I got to be all up in that drama. Oh, so, I'm just going to say it to him in person. Next time but it, the rest of us can't be part of that conversation. You need to put it public, man. We need to get this down in the Thunderdome of Riot Quest. All right. Maybe, maybe we will do it. I'll do oh, it publicly then. Man, that would be great finish this with a Riot Quest grudge match. <laughs> I would totally See, destroy him in Riot Quest. Not even close. Oh, snap! And the shit talk. You said you didn't wrestle. You said you weren't a wrestler listening to you talking smack. I'm, man, I'm classy boy. I don't need to wrestle to do any of that stuff. He said, I play I Riot words. Smack it down. Epic. Um, so get us back on topic instead of smack talking Danny. Um, what Isn't do you enjoy? It can be a whole topic. We just put a whole topic at the end to just like let's. Just I thought that was up. the whole point of the show. Danny's coming back at episode thirteen just to smack talk. Uh, Jordan Lamb, you heard it here, folks. We'll see. I don't know if he's capable of it. Oh snap! Oh, it's getting deep. Put your high waters on. Oh man! So, what do you enjoy painting the most? Troops, jacks, warbees, warcasters. What's your jam? Um, I like painting big stuff, the large, either large scale models like totem hunters that we made, or um, like large war beasts and stuff. Um, not because it's it's easier, just because I can add so much more to it, right? Like, there's more surface area for you to express, like so much like you can add so much character and so much history into something 
-hmm. by weathering its armor or adding, you know, like subtleties to the skin tones and stuff like that, that you just don't see on something like a solo sized figure um, that you can, you can put into something like a Warjack or a Colossal or something like you can tell so much more interesting of a story, um, <clears throat> which is a lot of why a lot of the like bigger pieces that you're going to see, like are, are so much more impressive than a lot of the, the like smaller stuff. And that's not to say that like paying small stuff isn't fun or isn't worthwhile. It's totally worthwhile. And there's so much cool stuff that you can do with it. Um, but I like my personal preference is just like getting, getting as much character and like interest into larger stuff. So I prefer being You know, that doesn't surprise me about a painter at your level either that you prefer bigger things because it, in a lot of ways, it allows the paint job to speak out more for itself than the model sometimes because models, as they get bigger, tend to have more open areas and more space for you to kind of blend and uh, put more glazes and create more shadows. Um, and then they just have their details are bigger so you can get more in depth with uh, how your shading works and how you draw the, your eye around the model. And... You know, you get basically the exact opposite when you paint small models. Because all of the detail is so small, just putting the color on the model is sometimes enough because the model is going to be really intricate. I really like painting with more casters because I like having that really epic piece. It's like, I'll go really over the top with, like, sculpting flames or making wings or whatever. You know, I'll just go all out. Um, but then that's because I'm a crappy painter. And I can use all of these add-ons to make my model look cool instead of allowing the paint to speak for itself. Right. But but then I would like I would challenge your 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 opinion there, right? Like, okay, warcasters because they're your like central piece, right? But mm -hmm. would you prefer painting a larger warcaster or a smaller warcaster? Oh, a larger warcaster. Absolutely. Then, and, exactly. So then it's it's a similar sort of concept, right? Because having a larger warcaster lets you do more of that conversion hmm. stuff, right? Like, you just have less real estate to work with with a smaller model. This is true. Although, right? we're saying this, and I'm sure if Jaden listens to these, he's basically just laughing at us as he paints Archons on the back of uh, the Hermit. That was so funny. He, he, he messaged me when he started his, his Hermit for the first time. He's like, I need to not do this. This is a really dumb idea. And I was like, eh, just, it'll be fine. You'll be fine. Just, just do what makes you happy there, guy. That boy can paint, man. That dude goes all out. He is a good painter. You and I have talked about painting a lot. He's Why does dude. that not surprise me? I, he is a really good dude. I enjoy talking to him quite a bit. Um, so, is there anything you wish a podcaster would ask you? Or is there something you would like to discuss live with a PP super fan that kind of, I can represent the community. You can talk to me. Um, I mean, I think honestly, I think we've covered all like the stuff that I like talking about. I mean, um, you've asked me all the questions that like are, are relevant. Like, I don't know, man, I, I think I got nothing to say. <laughs> These things well, have already been said. 
there was one question, and we we skipped over it in the painting section, and I want to I want to put this here at the end because I think it would be a good cap to a lot of the interesting things we talked about. If there is one P3 paint in the line that you think is a sleeper paint that people need to go out there and try more because you think you haven't seen it enough, or you're just like, man, this is something that is underutilized in our line. What would it be? Um. All right. Time for calculation brain to go on. Oh, Bloodstone, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's my third color, by the way. Didn't say Bloodstone <laughs> earlier. Bloodstone, dude. That color is fantastic. Way to oh, bring crap. it back around. Nice Bloodstone. on the third color. Blood, Bloodstone, man. Bloodstone. You know what? We'll take Coal Black out of there. We'll put Bloodstone in there. We got Beaten Purple. We got Bloodstone. What's another one? You uh, had another purple in there, the new purple. Beaten Purple. No, beaten purple is the old or, purple. I'm sorry, bad, bad bruise, bad bruise. Bad bruise is the new one. That's look so, at me, so look at me. I'm schooling a painter so on the violent face. names. Sorry, I'm getting emotional here. Bloodstone <laughs> is amazing. That color, yes. I use it on everything, man. That color is like, man, saturated, orangeous brown, dude. So mm -hmm. good. It's Very so versatile. Good. You can use um, it on browns. You can use it on tans. You can use it on oranges. You can use it on reds. Use you can use it on facing. Dude, it's perfect. It's it's perfect. Jinx. All right. So good. It's so good. Yeah. And then I think my other color. What is it like? So that's that's definitely the sleeper color for sure. Um, I think. Murderous magenta is another color I just love. Absolutely. But I'm a purple guy, so like. Shoot me dead. Well, and you're using oh. them all in the same palette to like complement each other. Mage Hunter Green. That's another really good color. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that one, but that one's really rich too. <laughs> oh no! What am I talking about? Push those colors aside. Moldy Ochre, Beaten <laughs> Purple, Bloodstone. Man, those are your three. I knew you, you were gonna yet? say Moldy Ochre. I was waiting for it. <clears throat> Moldy Ochre. That's like. Man, I told Danny about this. I was like, dude, you just got to highlight everything moldy ochre. I think you said that on the on the stream at some point. I did. Yes. And he's he is I've converted him to to this. He 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 originally recommended it for one of the recipes a long time back, and then I started using it for everything and he was just like, "Oh. Oh, it's so good." So, yeah, moldy ochre. So nice. Use it. I mean, look, you can even base coat bloodstone Shade with your beaten purple or bad bruise, excuse me, and then highlight with your moldy ochre, and it looks good, dude. That's great. Just do it. It works. Epic. What a great cap. Okay, so in closing, I want to thank you for your time, Jordan. Uh, I want to thank the listeners for tuning into another episode of Field of Fire. This has been episode ten, finally hitting the double digits. Five episodes with Privateer Press members and Jordan. I really appreciate having you on because, man, what an episode. Thanks for having me, dude. It's been uh, fun. Shenanigans. <laughs> uh, good times for sure. More soon. So now let's go record more content for the outro. <laughs> All right. Let's do it.
wrong for me. It was just like when I realized that like this is truly what I want to be doing and yeah. painting painting models and stuff. It was just like that's awesome. It 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 solidified to me that like this is a thing that I like really should absolutely be doing full time for the rest of my life. So what was it about Adepticon? Was like there a moment or did you just like get surrounded by it all and then Yeah, like... I think it was it was the the like the involvement in it and the like camaraderie of oh, the yeah. community and like all of that and like getting into it. Um that really was just like, yeah, this is where I want to be. And I don't really want to be anywhere else. <clears throat> so I've only ever been to one Adepticon, but it was such a huge landmark con- convention for me. Um, so I actually lived in Chicago for a while. I lived in the Mount Prospect area, and it was really about the time that I was taking my gaming, because I've been podcasting for several years at that point, but I was really trying to, like, break into the competitive scene hard, and uh, the area was really good for it. There were a lot of competitive players, and Adepticon rolled around, and so I drove out there. I didn't get to play in any events because I had to fly out that weekend for work, but I walked around and I saw like all the tables and all the new games and hung out with everybody. And then that night I ended up playing werewolf for the first time with Matt Wilson. And oh, all right. I was lit too. So I didn't really realize what was going on or uh, anything. And we started playing and we get into it and I'm like, why do I recognize you? And he's like, I'm Matt Wilson. And I'm like, Oh shit, you are Matt Wilson. (laughs) 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 And um, it's just, it's crazy that like many years later I ended up interviewing him at then a lock and load. And then again, recently on the podcast and it's just Adepticon was kind of the moment for me where I realized that, getting into the war machine community meant like getting to stand shoulder to shoulder with some of the best players out there that were just like really awesome and interesting and getting to know them and like pick their brains. And then like getting to meet so many of the privateer press guys, that was actually the first time Hungerford and I ever really like talk, talk, like sat down and like had a heart to heart. Um, yeah. Cause I had been a press ganger for a while through multiple cities and we went outside so he could uh, have a smoke and we could sit down and talk. And he, w- I was like, man, I would love to have your job. This is back when he was um, the quartermaster. I, I was like, honestly, like, I don't know that privateer press could ever afford me, but like, you have my dream job. And we talked for a while about like development and how he liked all the weird stuff. And even back then kind of really set the pace for the developer he would become into the game. Um, So I got to know him as a person before that became an element of who he was. And when I found out he was doing riot quests and all these other things, I was like, Oh, that's so Hungerford. (laughs) It really is. um, So I, I don't know. Like I agree. Adepticon, even though I didn't get to play in that event, go just going to Adepticon once changed the course of who I would become as a podcaster and a player. Yeah, it's 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 cool that like shows can do that, right? Yeah, brings I people together. That's why I love going to shows. So, so it was, it was something new. Speaking of shows, we should actually like start this one. Yeah, uh, can you give me like two seconds so I can rinse out this water that's got metallic flux? Yeah, in? no rush, man. Yeah, give me like thirty seconds. Take all the time you need. <laughs> I'm so putting this at the end of the podcast. All right. All right. Close the door on up. We are all good. 
I think, to go. Nice. So, are you ready to get started? Yeah. Yeah, let's, uh, let's try not to screw this up. I always screw up intros. It's, it's my thing. It's fine. We can do as many takes as you want. I actually do a lot more editing than 90% of the podcasts out there. Um, I believe in quality. Uh, only putting that out. So, if you fuck up, bust up, whatever it is, I can fix it. I can cut it out. And then, Although, yes? I will say, if I fuck up the intro... It's actually probably a good thing to keep in there because that's just what I do on fucking Catch a Pain on all the time. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's like well, every week I fuck up the intro. I'll do a whole bloopers reel at the end of this and it'll be hilarious. We can do how many times did Jordan Lamb fuck up the intro? <clears throat> probably none. Yeah, but we'll find yeah. out. Um, so I'll do a countdown. Three, two, one, start, and then we'll go. You ready? Yep. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. Three, two, one. This is a manual class. Oh, this hey. is Jordan Lamb. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna restart that. I'm not used we're to totally it being messing like... this up zero time. <laughs> I told you it's my mo, dude. I got him fuck it up at least once or twice. Hundred percent going in the blooper reel. That was priceless. <laughs> Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. All right, here we go. Oh, <laughs> uh, everybody's just gonna listen to like five minutes of us laughing. This is gonna be a great episode. Like we're just gonna hang out the whole time. Like you and I together is the is the oh, best team. Oh my god. All right. All right. Seriously. <sighs> So I would love to record some food content for the outro just to put some like really random stuff in oh, here. Dude, let's talk about some fucking food, all right? Uh, what do you like oh, to yeah. cook? So I, I'm a, you know, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to make for dinner. This is going to be delicious. <laughs> Maybe. Go for it. I don't know. We're going to figure it out. So <laughs> last night, uh, so for the last like three, three days or so, uh-huh. I've had like some chicken breasts marinating in this like. Oh, snap weird like it's got dr pepper in it cilantro some like hot sauce onion Ooh. powder like dude it's some weird shit okay it's fucking delicious though so it's, it's then, some weird co- shit but it's fucking delicious though. it's good it's good cooked it up in an instant pot to to get it all like super tender and shreddy um so i shredded it up last night had some of that for dinner with some some asparagus and stuff uh, but tonight I've got all this like extra chicken and I don't really like raw, like shredded chicken very much, sure. but I was like, you know what sounds good making some pasta with some shredded chicken and maybe mm. some like ranch sauce with some like asparagus and broccoli and stuff. Ooh, sounds really delicious. I got some Parmesan and a little bit of mozzarella and I throw that in there too. We'll see. Mm. This is going to be good. That does sound good. So, um. I'll send you a picture of that when I'm done. Absolutely. You can send me food <laughs> pictures anytime, Jordan. I will send you food pictures right back. All right. New thing. We're, we're creating a food channel. We're doing oh, it. yeah. 
Dude, if you want to, 100% left field, you and I will create a, a funny food blog. That'll just be us cracking it. <laughs> Sounds great. Let's do it. Don't don't tempt me, man. I, I have like five podcasts, and I'm always coming up with new ones. And I'm like, hey, now we're doing food, oh and God. it'll happen. So don't uh, don't tempt me. So good. Um, yeah, I got to figure out what I have. I like. It's gonna definitely be one of those like leftover. Like you just cook up all the leftovers you've got, sort of deal. Oh yeah. So, so something my wife and I do on anniversary every year, instead of going out to eat, because it's like anybody can do that, we do a chopped anniversary challenge. Nice. Uh, so we both come up with ingredients for the other person's basket and go out and buy them so and present them to the other person. But oh. the only stipulation is that we decide one of us is going to do dessert and one of us is going to do the main course and we draw it out of a hat and we both have to make an appetizer. And so many crazy dishes have come out of this because you're using, like, we, we make sure the kitchen's stocked, right? The pantry's stocked. You have, like, basic options available to you. And then it's just, like, imagination run wild. And half the time, you end up ordering Chinese at the end of the night anyways because you're like, <laughs> my this strawberries with mint and chocolate that also had brown gravy didn't work? Oh. What? Oh, man. Oof. I'm not saying that actually happened. Uh, That's a weird we combination. Crazy stuff. Um, so, gosh, what was one that I did? Um, I made my own ice cream. So I, I pulled this right out of because, you know, of course, I watch all the Food Channel, like, network, mm -hmm. everything. Um, and Do you watch, you watch uh, any, like, YouTube videos a ton at all? Absolutely. Okay. Have you discovered Bon Appetit's YouTube channel? Mm, I don't think so. Oh, my God. Go look it up tonight when you're done with this immediately. It's amazing. There's so much awesome stuff on that. In fact, before I was watching, before we did this, I uh, I was watching an episode um, where, like, they're all, like, professional chefs, right? Yeah. And they have this big YouTube channel and place in New York or whatever. And they do all sorts of different, like, funny things. But they had all their editors come on. And, like, work together to make, like, the best Thanksgiving meal that they could. So, like, they got together in pairs and, like, a couple of them tackled, like, turkey and cranberry sauce. And some of them did, like, okay, we'll do a pie or whatever. So, I was watching the, the end of where they, like, come together and they have their, like, Thanksgiving meal with all the food that they've all collectively, like, made to get, like, so it's super cool. It's great. You should check it out. It's a lot of I'm fun. I'm totally... Well, see, this could be, like, the inspiration for our food podcast is, like, we can do some research and then, like, come back together and be like, all right. So we reviewed this uh, YouTube video and we have watched this food and we have tried to make it ourselves. That would require being able to go to a grocery store, although <laughs> right now, God bless the people delivering groceries and stuff. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Ordered some DoorDash earlier. The guy dropped it at my door and took off. And I was like, I think he didn't even knock. Like, I thought at least they would knock. But I heard the bag hit outside. And I was like, either a very lightweight boxer just got knocked out or my food's here. <laughs> and so I opened the door and it's sitting there. And I'm like, I looked down the hallway, too, because I thought, man, like, how long has this been sitting here? And he is running full speed down the hall. Cha, 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 cha. And I'm like, you would think that I had, like, coronavirus written on the door or something. And he was like, this is the place I'm going to get contaminated. This is the one I can tell. Yeah, dude, it's, it's, whew, whew. But, yeah, 
I'm super excited for dinner. We'll see how it goes. I'll let you know how it goes. Man, I'll tell you what, though. I make a wicked grilled chicken sandwich. Oof. Oh, snap. Whew. Very good. My I'm actually best... a pretty pretty good cook, man. You ask some of the people around the office. Ask Tony next time you talk to him. Yeah, mm. I make some pretty good food. I'm all about it. As a matter of fact, that's my number one thing is, like, if I – so starting game nights only happened because I would cook and my wife would cook. Like, my friends would come over because I knew my wife would make lumpia. Oh, my uh, God. I love – man, talk about one thing that I love almost more than anything else. Is fucking pork lumpia, man. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. Dude. Oh. So oh. when her f- mother and father come in from the Philippines, we get a full-on lechon pig, right? And then we use the leftover pulled pork from the lechon to make pork lumpias. Oh, um, oh my God. I also that make crackling amazing. from the skin. Oh, man. I can do so much. So, like... Just like War Machine, I got in. Like, I honestly feel like if they sent me to go like compete on TV, I'd probably do okay. Like, they'd be yeah. like, "Damn, this guy's technical as fuck. What do you do?" And I'm like, eh, "I'm a manager." You know, <laughs> like I'd be really good at like cooks versus cons because I have a lot of technical knowledge. My best thing I can cook is eggs. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, like the perfect French egg, um, I can make, and I would present it to a French chef, and they would be like, "All right." This is perfect. And then I make Gordon Ramsay's scrambled eggs. Are you familiar with them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've made those before. So I basically, <laughs> like, I made them once for my daughters, and they were like, they call them fluffy eggs now. But the whole family, like, every time they come into my house to, like, hang out or whatever, I have to cook eggs for the whole family. And the easiest way to do it, instead of getting a gallon of milk, was to get a big tub of sour cream and replace the milk and just whip the whole thing. And it just became like the family tradition that I made eggs. That's funny. Uh, oh, man. You know what my thing is? Fucking What's your pancakes, thing? Dude. Oh, pancakes. Oh, nice. Fucking I am wearing a pancake shirt right now with a pancake, and he's flipping pancakes on it. I'm going to send you a picture. Woo. Woo. Pancakes, man. Buttermilk pancakes from scratch. Delicious. We have like three different pancake makers in my house. So we have a Hello Kitty and pancake maker that makes him in the shape of Hello Kitty's face. We have a Yoda pancake maker that makes them in the shape of Yoda's face. Um, and then we have a regular pancake pan that makes four pancakes at a time that you can flip on the stove. Jeez. All right. Because we want to get our kids involved in, like, cooking as early as possible so that, one, they're self-sufficient, but, two, they understand, like, from where their food starts and how it gets made and the effort it takes so they don't take it for granted or they're not those kids. Yeah, they're not just like, Dad, make me a sandwich. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, go make yourself a sandwich. Um, So when we make... Exactly, make me a sandwich, kid. That's what I had built for. (laughs) What what do you think I pay for you for for no reason? Yeah, exactly. Because I like having you around? No, go make me a sandwich. I bought the sandwich stuff. You make the sandwich. That's how this relationship works. Um, but we try to like have them cook with us as often as possible. So when we make breakfast, I will get my daughter out of bed because it's good practice. Like get up and make your bed and clean your room and all that. Yeah. Um, I travel a lot. So I try to bring like regimental discipline around when I can. 
and we'll all make pancakes together. And so I'll make them on the stove for myself and my wife. And then my two daughters, even my two-year-old, they'll get their own little bowls and they'll put like their little cup, they'll get their little cups and like portion each one into the Hello Kitty or the Yoda face. And then they'll close it down and clip it and then watch the light turn off, take a spatula, put it on their little plate. And so it's a whole, it's a whole event when the family cooks. That's cool, man. That's super fun. And you should totally come and cook with us. That sounds great. I would love that. And uh, my whole family plays Riot Quest, so you could, we could like have a four-way like free-for-all. That sounds awesome. Try and bring some fun down. Yeah, absolutely. It's always. I mean, it would just be great to see you, man. Like I, I wasn't bluffing in the beginning of the podcast when I was like, "This is one of my favorite people," because like I instantly just have like a kindred spirit. I was like, "This guy, I just like him." Like. Sometimes I just know. I, I I have met people in my life. Charles is one of those people. First time I met him, I was just like, oh, yeah, Charles, you and me forever, buddies. And so I just knew from, from day one, Jordan, you and I were going to be buddies. Oh, yeah, dude. I, I appreciate that so much. You're well, a good dude. I, I love having you around. That's for absolutely. sure. And we'll do a lot more of it. Fuck yeah. Hopefully by the time you come down, Warcaster will also be out. Yeah, I mean, hopefully. Hopefully I'll be able to make it sometime not in the next before four years from now. Yeah. Who knows how long this shit's going to fucking go on. No doubt. It's a good idea, man. Cool. Oh, yeah, uh, dude. It's been awesome hanging out with you. Uh, any last words? Um, no, dude. You've been good. You've been good to me. 